Hello, Hannah. Welcome, Kate, to That Took a Turn, the podcast. Also, do you want to hear what my intro is going to be for our communication episode? Yes. Boop, boop, beep, boop. What's the sitch? <gasps> boop, boop, beep, boop. What up? What up? Wow. The way that you communicated that was... Was it beautiful? Top notch. Thank you. I've had a lot of practice. Really? Is that so? 24 years. Of? Communication practice. Oh, I thought you meant of podcasting. I was like, oh, wait no. a minute. You, podca- you were podcasting out of the womb? Yes. That's not too bad. So, today is my parents, I believe, 27th wedding anniversary. Really? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Oh, I should text, I should text them. They would love that. Yeah. They would absolutely they would. love that. Yeah, shout out to Patty and Tim for 27 years of loving each other. Aw. And the date today is December 2nd. Good point. Good. uh, I guess we and then my parents are the only people who would know that. Or anyone else who knows their anniversary. Right. But yeah, my mom, I was talking with her this morning and she said that they've been married longer. They've spent their lives together longer than they've spent them apart. Wow. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. That's wild. That's a crazy concept. To live more of your life with somebody than, like, solo. Than without them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think that's, like, in our friendship as well. Because I don't plan on living much of my life without you in it. Same. And if we're going based on when we met in third grade, then we have spent more of our lives together. Yeah. I will say, though, they've, like, lived together for that whole time. Where you and I have not lived together. So it's slightly different. A friendship is different than a marriage. Really? Yes. We'll be the first to say that. (laughs) Okay, cool. Glad we established that. I'm really pumped for our topic this week of communication Mm -hmm. because I was a communications major and an English major in college and that feels like a cop out of a major for a lot of people. It's just sort of the, I came to college to party and might as well just do something that... uh, applies to everything which it does but I was so genuinely excited about it like my college soul was set aflame with the first communications class I ever took what was the first communications class you took it was um gosh I'm I'm better at remembering it was CA 251 okay but no 151 but that but what was the title what does that mean (laughs) I think it was like intro to communication probably oh that yeah, makes sense that or like sense. mass communication yeah and interpersonal I'm, i took so many sense. communications classes obviously because yeah. it was one of my majors yeah but yeah i i find the topic fascinating mm. i don't know about you i do as well um i think i've learned a lot about communication through my existence uh, over the last 24 years. Interesting and that you'd say that. That it's your existence. It's my existence. Huh. It is interesting to see what you communicate like when you re-listen back. Like, yeah. having said podcast and being in the editing phase of it. It's embarrassing and humbling. Yes. For sure. Very much. <laughs> yeah. I've learned a lot about my speech patterns and how I want to change them. As well as our dynamic. Yeah. We repeat each other. Mm-hmm. 
I think it is us trying to be as respectful and uh, kind as we can to the other person because we know it's it's a vulnerable place to be yeah. speaking to a microphone and potentially people. Yeah, to anyone who wants to listen. Yeah, like, that's a good point. Speaking of our craft, we have a very exciting announcement. We have stickers! What? What? We have stickers of Tony the Pod Dog and our That Took a Turn logo. That Took a Turn logo is holographic, so it's pretty cool. Don't whisper it. Yell it to the mountaintops. The That Took a Turn logo is holographic! <laughs> okay, I take it back. That wasn't Was it too loud? Thing. No, I mean, it's just a lot. <laughs> <laughs> The sticker's enough for itself, you know, it's cool. You're, you're cool, but the sticker's cooler, to be fair. It's cool. So, we want to encourage you to interact with us. Absolutely. We would love it if you rate, reviewed, and, or subscribed to our podcast. We'll send you a sticker if you do. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. We do need to know your address. Yeah. So, whether you insta-DM us that or... Email us that that. at podcast at gmail.com. She got it right this time. That's impressive. But yeah, these stickers are here for the taking, Mm -hmm. and they're free. They're They're free. free. All you have to do is write a review, which truly can just be like 10 out of 10, or maybe you think it's 5 out of 10. I don't know. Go ahead and let us know. A bad review counts. We don't want you to lie. No lies allowed. No. It would be great to have some feedback mm-hmm. before we move into season two. That's right. You heard it here first. We're doing seasons. We're going to take a break for the holidays. And come back stronger than ever. With season two. What up? Being that we are a two-person podcast <laughs> machine. Yeah. We have lives. And we it have... is a lot of work. Yeah. I love the work. I absolutely love it. I think it'll give us a good pause to... Reassess what we've done so far, see how we want to improve, see the things that we want to keep, what we want to change. Exactly. And Hence we- the need for feedback. Exactly. So please, you'll get two stickers. We're really excited about uh, the engagement we've seen so far. and You want us to be more funny? You want us to be less funny? You want us to... Should we speak in more monotones? Should we shut the fuck up? Should we just have a silent podcast? If you think we should shut the fuck up, you should rate, <laughs> review, and subscribe, and we will send you stickers. But we won't shut the fuck up. Yeah, we're probably not going to do that. But it's cool. Well, should we just get into it? <laughs> yes. All right, cool. I Do you mind if I go first? Go for it. Okay, because I'm really excited and just don't think I can hold my horses. I'm too ready to communicate! God! Set them free. <laughs> Set your horses free. Let those horses ride. (laughs) Okay, let me navigate to Mm -hmm. my screen. I'm excited to hear what you have to say, miscommunications major. I went back to my old notes. The ones I had on my computer. I didn't look at all my handwritten notes because that would have just been so much notes. (laughs) But it was so interesting to see all of the different things. And yeah, kind of made me just fall in love with it all over again and oh. realize how much communication the 
subject of communication has shaped my life. Which, this has nothing, I, this is not what I wrote about, but, um, the other day I was thinking about why I'm so drawn to the path of understanding and learning more about communication and language in general, and that's kind of been a, a central tenet in my life from a, an early age, like I've always been drawn to language, and I think it comes from, you know, when I would get into fights with my family or whoever, and things would really hurt me that were said. And then vice versa, what I would say might really hurt someone else. I still remember the first time I'd ever kind of dealt with depressive thoughts and was feeling suicidal. It was like in eighth grade. Mm. And I remember my sister telling me that she thought the act of suicide was selfish. Mm. And that was such a pivotal moment for me because I hadn't seen it as that in any way. But then she said that and I took on the label of selfish and took on the task of trying to do everything in my power not to be selfish. So impactful. Exactly. And I honestly, now that I'm older and have processed all of these things, she did nothing wrong. But yeah, that she knows this. I've, I've mm-hmm. mentioned this to her, so it's not like it's, you know, she listens and it's like, oh shit, I didn't realize I said that and <laughs> it impacted her or whatever, but it did. It made me see the world differently and change the way that I was in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of began my journey of thinking about the power of language and how that affects others. And I wanted to make sure that from that point forward, I was being as conscious about the language I was using and as intentional as I possibly could be. And I'm still not perfect at it. Never will be. Mm-hmm. And there are still times where my impact is very different than my intent. And, you know, it's a learning experience. We'll chalk it up to that. But yeah, I'm glad that all of those things happened so that I was able to learn the importance of yeah. my communication. And I think to that point of what you said about like, you're never going to be perfect about it. It's the way that we both deliver and receive communication is based on the culmination of everything we've experienced thus far in our lives, which is vastly different for every human being. So it's always going to be a challenge. It's always going to be something to navigate. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My defining word was selfish, where Mm. that might not be someone else's. Maybe it's timid or chill or, you know, you never know. You never know what the, what has shaped someone's way of being. Yeah. I digress. Does language shape thought? Mm. Or is it thought that shapes language? Kind of just what came first, the chicken or the egg? And there's a lot of different takes on this perspective, but this was always one of the most interesting things that I remember hearing in different lectures. And I just wanted to see what your take was on it, Hannah. Honestly, I'm just excited. So there are over 7,000 languages spoken on earth today. I got that from a simple psychology article. I didn't just know that off the top of my head. (laughs) I was going to say shitty that I only know one. (laughs) Truly. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, so over 7,000 languages and with that many different languages, how do we all communicate with each other? Well, the Spearworth hypothesis 
it states that language influences the way that members of a culture see and think about the world around them. So that as a concept is called ling- linguistic relativity. Okay. The idea that language influences our thoughts and that people who speak different languages can see the world in different ways yeah. has always really stuck with me as something awesome and reason why it's important to never stop improving how we communicate because yeah. I'm sorry I only know one language I have 6,999 more to learn <laughs> before I can say I know all of it yeah you know yeah that reminds me of in high school I remember learning about community people or a tribe in somewhere in the north 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 and they had so many different words for types of snow that we do in the English language and how they are able to identify different types of snow and recognize the differences between them because they have the words to to describe it. Exactly. We have very limited language surrounding something like that. Right. The more language you have, the better you are at being able to describe your experiences and perceptions to the outside world. Mm. But that's so funny you mentioned that because that was my next (gasps) bullet point. Yeah, no, for Ah! real. It was that. So I'm pretty sure it was the Inuit people. Okay. I think the sphere wharf hypothesis would say that because we don't have all those words, Mm -hmm. we cannot conceptualize snow in that many ways. I don't think that's totally true because you can, snow can be dense. It can be fluffy. It can be, we have adjectives. Right. Reflective of the culture that's using those words. Yeah. Because we don't need 50 different words for snow necessarily. Right. But. It makes me wonder though, if having those 50 different words would be more to the point. Like you wouldn't have to stretch your mind to describe and you say the term and everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. I think that depends. Yeah. If it's universal knowledge, yes. But that's just it, is even if you have the most expansive vocabulary, Mm -hmm. who are you talking to? Who is your audience? And how expansive is their vocabulary? Yeah. The bar is set by culture, not Mm -hmm. necessarily how much or little you have in your vocabulary inbox. That's cool. So Spear, Spear was a guy, Worf was a guy. It was around the 1950s that this hypothesis came to be. And Spear said that for him, and I guess this hypothesis, language is our symbolic guide to culture. Mm. And I have this quote from the model in neuroscience and biobehavioral psychology. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) From John F. Kilstrom and Lillian Park. That's of 2018, so it's pretty recent. But for Spear, (laughs) tongue twisters were... No, I'm just kidding. For Spear, linguistic relativity was a way of articulating what he saw as the struggle between the individual and society. Mm. In order to communicate one's unique experiences, individuals need to rely on a public code over which they have little control. I was, I was just going to say I like the use of the word struggle in that. Mm. Because it is a struggle. It's very hard to be able to gather the words in your mind and say them out loud in a way that is going to accurately communicate what you're experiencing. Yeah, and put the same words that were gathered in your mind to someone else's. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. 
For sure. That's so, why I'm a communications major. Fuck. Not because yeah. I'm good at communicating. Because I was like, I don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. It seems like a puzzle. It seems like an impossible puzzle when you look at it from the perspective that we're looking at it right now. Mm-hmm. It's inspiring to try to be better, but it's tricky. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that quote goes on. Was mm-hmm. that a neck crack? It was a neck crack. That was really good. I want to see... No, no neck cracks for Kate. Oops. But continue with the quote. Did you just get a second neck I crack? <laughs> oh my gosh. Continue with the, your Show quote. Photo, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, yes, it says, in order, this is talking about individuals, in order to communicate their unique experiences, individuals need to rely on a public code over which they have little control. Mm. Linguistic rules are usually unconscious, and it is different for individual speakers to enter the logic of the linguistic system and alter it to their liking. So essentially, the quote goes on, don't worry, it's super long. (laughs) (laughs) But... That point being that it's really difficult to personalize your communication style beyond the language. Because the language is limited. There's only so many words to describe snow in English. Yeah. And while you can use a different language, it's also limited to what your audience speaks and understands. Mm. So in order to tailor language and communication to your liking or what actually is going on in your mind it's really hard yeah hence the struggle hence the struggle can i interject with something that just popped into my mind now yes please um so with how difficult it is to communicate that something that i have thought is really cool and would like to utilize more in my own life is like describing a thought feeling or like emotion as having a texture or a color or a sound and I think it's a really cool way to express what you're feeling without actually having to use logical words to describe explicit it. Explicit language? Yes, explicit yeah. language. Thank you. Communications that's... major. Thank oh, you. Man. <laughs> um, but I, that's something that I want to use more often. Like, whatever I'm feeling, I don't know what it is, but it feels scratchy and it feels like the color auburn like sure just something to get it out in in a different way yeah yeah that's my very first therapist gave me that Mm. strategy to describe your feelings as shapes with Mm. textures and colors and is it static or is it fluid Mm. you know how is how is it forming in your brain because I think probably for exactly what you just said it's not always easy to put explicit logical language to what we're feeling because it's not meant for that necessarily yeah I guess the person who created each language probably was pretty aptly ready to use it but we all have different experiences Mm -hmm. anyway that's your quote I will because the quote does go on (laughs) (laughs) back to the quote in this perspective Linguistic relativity becomes a way of exploring the power that words have over individuals and groups. Groups. Mm. <laughs> groups. <laughs> what word is that, Hannah? Groups. Groups. <gasps> that was really good. That's yeah. truly my mornings from 7 to 11 a.m. I am... Do I get a sticker? Out. Do I get a sticker for it? 
You don't fuck. Regardless. Uh, yeah. So just as a refresher, linguistic relativity is the idea that our language helps shape our thoughts and interactions with the world. Not that it is the only thing shaping that, but that it's one of the things. Mm-hmm. And linguistic relativity, now I'm quoting, becomes a way of exploring the power that words have over individuals and groups. Damn. I think it's true. I Tell think me more. Why do you think it's I, true? I mean... I mean, it just... It seems like it resonates with me. And I think with the knowledge of the fact that there are so many different languages and words and concepts that don't exist in the English language but do in others, I think it's true. The things that we experience and feel and wish to communicate are not so easily communicated with the amount of words that we have. I definitely agree, and I think part of the reason that we have language is to... It's called the uncertainty reduction theory. It's because humans, as a species, don't love uncertainty Mm. and are working hard to reduce the amount of uncertainty we have because that leads to unknown, to anxiety, to all these different things. So language gives us certainty in how we are interacting in our worlds. Yeah. I have a couple different examples of ways that language is changed depending on the language you're speaking and yeah, mostly the language you're speaking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the first one is time. Language has a really big factor in determining how we see time. One of the big things that influenced the spear warp hypothesis was the research that they did with the Hopi tribe of excuse me, there was another burp. Um I believe it was in Arizona. So uh, Spear did a lot of work with Native American groups to examine the differences between their languages and ours, and that was a big interest of his. And how we perceive time has a lot to do with the language we have around it. So it's easy to think that time is universal, that we all see it in the same way, Mm. but the Hopi tribe or people, their language is structured in a way that both reflects and shapes the way that they think about time. This is a quote now from an article on Simply Psychology. It didn't have an author stated. However, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell it to you anyway. Say it. Great. The Hopi language has no present, past, or future tense. Instead, they divide the would, as in, I would do that, but, mm-hmm. into manifested and unmanifested do- domains. What? Yeah. So, the manifested domain consists of the physical universe, including the present, the immediate past, and the future. Okay. And the unmanifested u- domain consists of the remote past and the far-off future, and the world of dreams, thoughts, desires, wow. and life forces. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. I would love to meet somebody from this tribe and have them explain it to me. and Even I... just live a day in their head. Yeah. See if it is different. Is that 
truly a difference that's made. Yeah. They also have no words for minutes or days or weeks. So Hopi speakers often have great difficulty adapting into English-speaking worlds because time is so rigid. Yeah, it's pretty precise. Yeah. Another example of that is uh, Finnish, the Finnish language. They don't have a future tense. So if you were to say, I will clean my room, that doesn't exist. You say, I clean my room. Wow. It's present. And people have, have studied that and show that it makes a difference in how quickly or it, it makes a difference in how much. Like how quickly things happen or how. Like... I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. I This was the one thing that like stuck with me and I was trying to find for this episode, yeah. but I couldn't find it in my notes. The, instead of I will save for retirement, it's I save for retirement. And because it's present versus future tense, it's something you do more often. You're more likely to do it because it's not a future thing that you can put away. It's something that's present and active. Exactly. It's an active thought and action. Huh. It's harder to say I... Like, yeah, I'm gonna do that. Right. Eventually. <laughs> exactly. It's harder to put an eventually on that yeah. because it's it's present tense and yeah. the future tense doesn't exist. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. That is kind of cool. That uh, makes me wonder... I My mind is just going of how I can apply that... The different ways that I can apply that to my life now, like, in terms of my friendships or my romantic relationship like what are the goals that I have and what am I doing actively now to reach the goals that I eventually I'm gonna want right yeah because like I will be a millionaire is I am a millionaire yeah because inevitably there are actions as small as they may be that can get you on the right track For sure. And I think that shows, too, the importance of the language we use around those actions. If you're not at a point where you are ready to take the actions, shape your language. So, time is one thing, one example of how the Spearwarf hypothesis works to explain how our language shapes our view of the world. Mm -hmm. There's also physical perception. For example... There have been a lot of studies done on expert witness testimony on a car crash. If you say, it crashed into the car at 60 miles an hour, versus it hit the car at 60 Mm. miles an hour, there's a difference in how people perceive that incident. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. Words have connotations, and people perceive them differently. Mm -hmm. That's measurable. Yeah. And I think that's huge in terms of uh, an anonymous third party, how they're going to perceive that information of what actually happened. Absolutely. And when you think of it in... I'm laughing because I'm thinking of the Kim Kardashian podcast, The (laughs) System, which is a serious podcast, it's not reality, but talking about a uh, death row case Mm. and the way that the language is used in law in general makes such a difference, A, with the jury, if it's a jury trial, but also B, just interpreting the law. 
I mean, you think about the Second Amendment of the right to bear arms. What that means in each state is up for interpretation. Huge debate. Huge. Yeah. yeah. So, language. Crazy. Intense. Wow. Lots of options. Go-do. Wack-a-do. <laughs> Other things that are influenced by language as a symbol of culture, color. So it's been studied that cultures with only two colors, like between two and 11 colors tends to be the norm. If it's two colors that are in your language, it's probably more of a light and dark distinction versus red, blue, green, yellow, like Roy G. Biv type deal. Okay, so... English, the English language would be more of a Roy G. Biv situation. Yes. So there's actually an order that languages all follow with how, I guess, in depth they describe color. I'm reading from an article I read that was by E.K. E. Silverman in the International Encyclopedia of the Social and Behavioral Sciences from 2001. Languages with only two terms will have black and white, so basically dark or light. And if a language has a third term, it's red. What? Mm-hmm. The next additions will be sampled from yellow, green, and blue. Makes sense. Brown enters next. Okay. Followed by some ordering of purple, pink, orange, and gray. So, rather than being arbitrary in the way... Oh, it says, rather than being arbitrary, in the way that Worf might have predicted, languages choose to name different colors according to a strict hierarchy. The strictness suggests that language describes a single external reality rather than that language divides reality in different ways. What? So, yeah, what exactly? That's, that's what I'm saying, where a lot of this is not accessible in its own language, describing language, therefore. Will, will you repeat that for my own sake? For sure. Do you want that me to... Last, just that last part. Uh, this strictness mm-hmm. suggests that language describes a single external reality rather than that language divides reality in different ways. That's where you lost me. Yeah. So what that's saying basically is the, hypo- the sphere wharf hypothesis yeah. was saying that language is how we chop up and piece out our realities Mm -hmm. but it's not exactly how we chop it out it's is it more of an individual experience of reality in terms of color um this quote is basically saying i don't like the word basically and i say it a lot it seems like it's degrading this whatever anyway but i i do need to know Basically, what right. does that mean? So, basically, <laughs> <laughs> this study is proving that there is one reality. Language breaks it down. That's okay. true. But it's not that language is the power that determines how reality works. Reality is what it is. Okay. Language interprets reality. And color depending on what language you're speaking, is broken down in certain ways. So if you're in a culture that maybe you live in Alaska and it's dark all the fucking time, Mm -hmm. the cultures there might have only had two words for color, dark and light. 
Okay. And things fell into those categories. If you speak, if you were on the summer side of Alaska where it's light all the time, so this doesn't make sense anymore, <laughs> but <laughs> then maybe you have 11 different words for color. Okay. And that's how you segmented your reality. Okay. All I'm getting at is that reality is one thing mm-hmm. that everybody and all 7,000 languages are working to interpret. But what we see is the same. It's just how we are choosing to break it up into it, words. Yeah. Dang. It's a lot. It's a lot of no. heady shit. I like that heady shit. That's really interesting. <laughs> hey! We come to interrupt this podcast to announce a very important opportunity for you. This is your chance to shine! This is your sign! This is your ad space. If you have a creative pursuit, a small business that you want to promote, or anything else that you've got going on that you just need a shout out for, we got you. For no money required. Zero cost. Email us at thattookaturnpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Email us at thattookaturnpodcast at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening to us. We want to give you a shout out as well. You know what? I bet you can't wait to get back to this episode. Let's get back to it. Uh, Bye! Bye! That's interesting and hurts my head, but I like it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's heady shit, but at the same time, what I'm, what I, I was going to say basically, but I don't want to say basically. <laughs> what I get from everything we've talked about so far and everything I learned in my communications major, so if you didn't go to college, which is totally acceptable, okay, cool, very okay, <laughs> I just... Uh, Make it sound more okay. Make it sound more More okay. okay. More okay. (laughs) It's It's just... uh, there's Student loans are fucked. Student loans are fucked, but at the same time, the whole college idea... I I still remember our high school principal told us that, like, 90% of students from our graduating class ended up going to college, and within the first year, 50% of those students dropped out. Because college isn't for everybody. Yeah. And that is okay. College was never meant to be for everybody. No. If you soared and excelled and found your life philosophy in college, great. That's what it's meant for. Yo, I went to college and got my entire undergrad, and now, at this point, at 24 years old, I'm thinking, is that even what I wanted to do in the first place? Exactly. And I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I learned so much. I used my degree to an extent, but now, at 24, I'm thinking... (laughs) (laughs) I now I'm thinking about going back Back to school back to school and getting a a different undergrad degree in something that I actually want to pursue it's a mess and I I I struggle I really really have a strong dislike I'm not gonna say hatred but strong dislike for the judgment that comes with people who don't seek higher education and yeah, it brings me back to exactly where we were in my discussion of language and communication because it's so stupid. I ugh, <laughs> it, it frustrates the hell out of me because 
being an educator, college is not right for everybody. Yeah. And it's not... I had a shitty college experience. The education side of it was great, but the other side of it for me was really terrible. And that's a whole nother podcast, but I just, I I wouldn't want anyone to listen to this and hear all the academic language that is, to be honest, meant to keep people out and to keep a very small group of social, you know, social uh, class above others. Mm -hmm. And think, oh, I guess it's just, I can't understand that. I, that's not language that comes naturally to me. I guess I'm just not mm-hmm. Which meant to be. It's like, is no. Why I think you using the word basically frequently is not much of an issue because I am college educated. I, I do feel like I'm an intelligent person, but a lot of the time. Let me correct you. You are an intelligent person. Thank you. I am an intelligent person, but a lot of the time, yeah, we need the basics. We we don't need all of the academic jargon that there is. It's we, just a barrier to entry. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. So that's why I do appreciate your, I don't want to say dumbing it down because it's not dumbing it down. It's putting it in... Filtering it down. Yeah. It's putting it in language that more people can understand and that I can understand. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I still think the word basically has connotations I'm not happy with, just mm. because it, to me, says, here's this language that's high fluting mm. and academic, and I'm going to dumb it down for you. That's I what see. it says to me, and I think the connotation it holds for a lot of people, because I don't think in any way that I am better than anyone else mm. or more knowledgeable. I don't think you are either. Thanks. <laughs> Truly, thank you. Yeah. I Everyone has knowledge of their own, like you said before, experiences and life. And just because it doesn't fit the patterns of language that you happen to be born into and the cultures you're born into doesn't mean what you're experiencing and what you know to be true isn't valid and isn't worthwhile, yeah. you know? And it, I think it also doesn't mean that you are incapable of comprehending. Absolutely something. not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Because these articles and the academic language can be boiled down into a very simple way of understanding. But it's not because, in, in my opinion, it's because people are afraid that knowledge is power. And if powerful people have the knowledge, sharing that power makes it less powerful. I don't know. I, I This is a whole other yeah. topic. But speaking as someone who has read and can understand academic language... There's no point. It doesn't need to be that complex. It does not need to be that complex. There's really no reason. Other than the fact that people use academic language because that's the structure they have to use in order to be recognized in the way that they're trying to be. Mm. Like, if you, pr- if you study COVID-19 vaccines, you have to put it in academic language for it to be peer-reviewed and yeah. recognized yeah. and acknowledged. But if you want to explain COVID-19 to the general public, you have to boil it down into a way where people can actually understand. Right. And ease fear. Exactly. Comprehend. <laughs> yeah. Raise cognitive load or the amount of things you have to process in order to understand something is sometimes a weapon of like a weapon of language, but it's something that is used against people. 
it's one of the reasons I'm a literacy tutor because everyone deserves access mm-hmm. to the public fund that is knowledge and language. Mm-hmm. And if you can understand that without having to really work your mind in other ways, like AKA having a heavy cognitive load, then you can do a lot more for yourself that, and you can go through a lot of barriers that are put in place for people who don't have the same access to tutors or language structures or resources that others do. Mm-hmm. And it sucks that sometimes language is what maintains that barrier. Yeah. That actually brings me to my next point, which is that language has a very historic and societal aspect as well. So, from the encyclopedia, excuse me, from the International Encyclopedia of the Social and Behavioral Sciences, E.K. Silverman wrote that Essentially, language reinforces and sometimes creates the systemic problems that we encounter, whether it be racism, sexism, ageism, imperialism, adenism, if you will. Yeah. Thinking of the idea that the English language has costed us a lot of these local languages in many countries, Yeah. that resonates with me, especially because of the fact that at the beginning of the episode, you and I both said... We only know one language, mm-hmm. English. I, I think there's a difference of where the value is placed. And because so many English speakers, so many white Americans or white Europeans have that more or less monopoly over mm-hmm. English as a powerful tool, like that is what is valued more. And in reality, it's not what could be valued the most. If you are someone who is of middle or lower class and you know multiple languages, that's not typically seen as an asset or something admirable, which I think it should be. I, I, think, I think it is. But in in terms of America and the society that we live in, it's not it's not as celebrated. That's true. If you can code switch between code switch being go between languages and think with weaving in multiple languages between Spanish and English if you're of lower class if you are of a lower class that's oh well you mm. know Spanish because that's your language but you need to know English and you don't know it that well mm-hmm. blah, 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 whatever whatever it may be but it's not prioritized and awarded financially in professional situations as much as it should be I agree. I agree. Not to mention the whole idea of illegal immigrants or illegal aliens. The The word alien mm-hmm. is, is a lot of times yeah. a very legal term. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just it's ludicrous that we have the word alien, which describes green <laughs> extraterrestrials. While also describing someone who isn't from this country. Yeah. And I know that other countries use that word as well, but it shows... English is our our language of... It's not our official language in the U.S. because we don't have an official language. But let's be honest. It is the official language. Mm -hmm. And the connotation of other that is in that, and all of the language we use, 
there are so many examples of how language others people yeah. or makes people feel less than the English language specifically. And I think it can be disheartening to think about how little influence we have over the language we use. But at the same time, language is evolving and it's changing and growing. And we are the ones who transact that. Although it may seem trite to have to use someone's correct pronouns or, you know, not say, oh, he's black or the N-word and say people of color or whatever is the quote-unquote PC, political correct thing. Language is important. It and it carries It matters. It carries value. Studies show that our actions affect our social networks heavily. And what I mean by that is if you say something, Hannah, it influences the people in your immediate circle, in your secondary circle, and in your tertiary circle. Mm-hmm. And those people influence you. So it's important, the language you're using to describe yourself, to describe others, question the language. Think about the language you're using. Yeah. And I, Yeah, there are a couple things that that makes me think of, like using the terminology crazy or insane, especially when talking about a woman and her emotions or feelings or somebody with mental illness. It, I think like that's a great example of challenging the language that we're using. Like, what are you actually trying to say? Mm-hmm. Like, are you really trying to say crazy or are you trying to say frustrated, right. hurt, emotional? Can we widen our vocabularies to more accurately describe what we mean? Yeah. And hurt less people. Yeah. And I also want to say, too, the power of reclamation and people taking language Mm. that is meant to be hurtful and belittle them and using it as a source of power. Mm -hmm. You can always choose to do that. Yeah. And I know it takes a culture to do that, but the N-word, for example, mm-hmm. uh, that's maybe a bad example because I don't think I can speak to it as, as I would want to. I, could, I can say, like, for the word queer. Yes, that's... Um, like, for myself being a queer person, I remember having a conversation with my extended family and explaining to them, like, oh, I identify as queer, like, I am a queer individual, and them responding to me with saying isn't that a derogatory term because they they are from a different area of the country and have only been exposed to the word queer in a derogatory way and so I think me coming to them as a queer person saying the word queer was kind of took them aback absolutely Um, and so I got the opportunity to explain like as a queer person saying that that is how I identify, that is not a hurtful or derogatory thing. It is when you use that word as a means to belittle someone, to be condescending towards someone, to say that they are less than or immoral. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So that is a word that I like to use for myself because that's also something that I identify with very much so. For sure. But that was a very interesting experience to me because the community that I have here in Denver is very comfortable with the word queer. 
Like, it's it's not a derogatory it's term. It's been reclaimed. It's been reclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, I even think of the word bitch, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. If someone were to call me a bitch and they weren't a female or female identifying... Or saying it in an endearing way. Even if they're saying it in an endearing way, if a male calls me a bitch... Oh, yeah. I mean, if a woman or female identifying person was saying it in a non-endearing way to you, that fucking sucks. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. But still, yeah, it hits different, mm-hmm. and it's funny because it's a word that originally is meant to describe a female dog, and I'm not that, so maybe they need to reclaim that. Female dogs, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you rock, female dogs. You rock, you rock bitches. <laughs> but still, the I think it's important to acknowledge that while. Language is a very fixed entity. It's something that is difficult to adjust to your likeness. It's also not set in stone. Mm. It is something that you have power over. Yes, it has power over you, but you decide how much power over you it has. And you have the ability to use it to create power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's free. Language is free. Yeah. With that, we'll talk to you soon. See you next time on That Took a Turn, the podcast. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to That Took a Turn, the podcast. Written, produced, and everything by us, Kay Geary and Hannah Domish. It's pretty DIY. If you're digging the pod, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Vlad Took a Turn wherever you're listening to this podcast. I mean, if you made it to this point, at least we're like bored enough to listen. I know. Either way, you can also check us out on Instagram at That Took a Turn Podcast. Special thanks to Garrett Burns and special thanks to our listeners mm. for listening. Our theme song is by Music Unlimited. This has been I Handsome Prince Production.